Amen. Thank you, Dan, for leading us in that. Thank you, worship team. Good morning. Uh, and good morning to our guests. If you're our guests with us this morning, we're so glad that you're here. We're having a party afterwards, and we want to invite you to stay and enjoy the food truck and those things as well. A little Easter egg for the youngins. But thank you for being here. I want to start this morning uh, with a quiz, a brief quiz. Four questions, okay? Question number one Today is. Okay, everybody, I think the whole class got 100%. Very good. Question number two, next Sunday is? Okay, 100% as well. Now, here's question number three, a little bit trickier. Tomorrow is? Partial credit. Tax day. Okay, not the celebration that Palm Sunday is and that Easter is. I get it, okay? More like uh, wailing and gnashing of teeth. But uh, we, are entering, we are entering Holy Week. And here's the, the final quiz question. And I'd like someone to raise their hand on this one, okay? Because I have an a, a extremely, extremely wonderful prize uh, for this person. Why do we call it Palm Sunday? See those hands. Yvonne? That's right. Did everybody hear that? She said, yeah, very good, Yvonne. Yvonne, when, when we dismiss, I want you to go out to the coffee bar. We have a free cup of coffee for you. After this. Um, and you can go to the food truck as well and buy your own lunch. Um, we call it Palm Sunday because this is the time that Jesus entered into Jerusalem at the beginning of that Holy Week, and he was greeted by those who would put wave palm branches at him as he entered Jerusalem on a donkey. Uh, turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 12. That's where we're going to look at this passage uh, this story that's actually covered in all four Gospels, John uh, 12, but also Matthew chapter 21, Mark chapter 11, and Luke, I forget, but Luke 19, there it is. Uh, but all four Gospels include the beginning of this Holy Week, and John begins this triumphal entry story in chapter 12, verse 12, and I'll read through verse 19, it'll be on the screen as well. John 12, beginning in verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look. The world has gone after him. The word of the Lord. 
Just a little uh, background, a little context uh, from me, a little background on my life. Uh, I did not grow up in a liturgical or a traditional church. I never attended a church growing up where they had this kind of palm celebration and, and you, people would be given palm branches as they came in or as they left. It wasn't a part of our liturgy or our tradition as an evangelical independent church. But let me tell you this morning why I love Palm Sunday. Let me tell you why I appreciate it and I, and I love it this morning. And the reason is this. The reason is that millions of Christians around the world today, tonight, last night, as millions of Christians gather together on this weekend, we are unified in celebrating this event, this beginning of Holy Week. No matter where people gather today and no matter what denomination or a tradition they come from, we are united in celebrating this entrance of Jesus to palm branches, to singing, and as Jesus enters on a donkey. If you think about it, 49 or 50 weeks of the year, many, many churches, many different traditions, we are in different places in the scriptures. Uh, we're preaching from different passages, we're hearing different scriptures, but generally on Holy Week, we are united, uh, not just as Centennial Church, not just as Protestants, but Roman Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, Protestants, Evangelicals, we are all focused this week upon these same things, upon this same event. And it is not inc incident, uh, it is not uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? It is not incidental. It is not uh, peripheral to our, those were the wrong words, but thanks for trying to help. Uh, it is not peripheral to our faith. It is, it is central. Now, this is my second week back, okay? I'm still getting my legs under me. Uh, it is not incidental. It is, it is not an accessory. It is central to our faith. In fact, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, a wonderful Easter passage, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes this. He says, I want to remind you in verse 1, I want to remind you of the gospel. Okay, here it is. You need rem remembrance, right? You need to be reminded. I need to be reminded. He says, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in verse three and four. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And Paul is saying this week, this, this event, this last week in Jesus' life, this is the good news. This is of first importance, not mediocre importance, not an aside, not an accessory, not incidental, but central of first importance to our faith. And all around the world this week, we are celebrating these events and this truth, not just at Centennial Church, but today, believers in Syria and elsewhere are, are celebrating, hiding and celebrating this event, this central event in our faith and in the story and the life of Jesus, not just in Texas, but in Turkey, not just in Anna, but in Africa, not just in Iraq, but in Ireland. All around the world this week, we are focused upon these events. And it's an event where the Savior King enters Passion Week on a donkey, on the back of a donkey. 
And so this morning, I want us to ask and, and answer this question, consider this question, what does this day, what does this story tell us about Jesus, our Savior? What does this story tell us about Jesus? First of all, why the palm branches? Why the palm branches? Thank you, Yvonne. Uh, the palm branches are traditional. They're a sign. They're palm uh, branches and a palm tree was a symbol of the nation Israel. Uh, palm branches were used in the feasts of Israel, particularly the Feast of Tabernacles or booths. They would use these palm branches as a, as a part of their feast. So it was the palm branches were traditional. This also, as they enter in and they throw their cloaks on the ground and they throw their cloaks or their jackets on the donkey that Jesus would ride in on. This is also traditional. If you read in 2 Kings chapter 9, you see that a king named Jehu is enthroned as king over Israel. And what, what are the people doing? They're spreading their cloaks out for the king to walk upon, for the king to sit upon. So this is uh, traditional. This is a sign of enthronement of a king. And you see that they're calling out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. They are viewing this as, as their king entering Jerusalem to save them. So that's the palm branches. Why the donkey? The donkey is also prophetic, as Rick read earlier in our service, uh, Zechariah 9.9. Zechariah 9.9 says this. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey. Hundreds of years before Jesus would come and enter Jerusalem, this was prophesied by the prophet Zechariah, who we looked at a few weeks ago in in a message. And look at, the, look at the contrast here. He says, your king is coming to you. And how does the, is that king described? That king is described as first, of all, as, first of all, righteous, having salvation. Now, that's high and mighty, isn't it? He's a king. He's coming. He's righteous. He's mighty to save you. And then the next line, though, contrasted, humble and mounted on a donkey. Your king is coming to you righteous with salvation and yet humble, riding on the back of a donkey. So the entrance into Jerusalem on a donkey is prophetic. You also find in Genesis chapter 9 as uh, Jacob is blessing his sons, Judah, a donkey is mentioned uh, in the line of Judah as the king would come from Judah. Not only is it uh, prophetic, am I doing something wrong with my mic? Sorry. Get behind me, Satan. I'll grab that in a minute if it keeps doing that. Um, uh, it's prophetic. It is also a display of humility. Jesus, our Savior King, does not enter on a war horse. He does not enter on a wheeled chariot or a vehicle. He does not come. He does not enter Jerusalem with a sword in his hand, but he enters humbly on a donkey. If you look at Messianic Psalms, Old Testament anticipations of of the Messiah, Psalm 118, Psalm 110 are both Messianic Psalms that picture this coming of the Messiah King. And those those, uh, Psalms are are pictures of power, and yet in Psalm 110, you get this... uh, This example, excuse me, in Psalm 110, you get this description of the Messiah who would come, verse 5, and shatter kings, shatter other kings. 
you get this picture of power. And Psalm 118, another messianic uh, psalm, is quoted here that I just quoted. Uh, verse 13 is what they are proclaiming. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even a king. They are acknowledging Jesus as king. Now they think his kingship is he's going to quickly move from donkey to throne. That's not what ends up happening. He moves from donkey to cross, to burial, but then to resurrection. But he comes prophetically and unlike we would expect a king to come. We expect a king to come on a wheeled vehicle with a sword in his hand, in glory and in splendor. We expect that the king will be high and lifted up. And in fact, Jesus says he will be high and lifted up, doesn't he? This is fascinating. If you flip later uh, in verse 32 of chapter 12, Jesus talks about this. Flip with me there. Uh, John 12, 32, he, Jesus' own words, he says, and I, when I am lifted up from earth, will draw all people to myself. He says, I'm the king and I'm going to be high and lifted up. But what is that going to look like, high and lifted up? It's going to be lifted up to a cross where he would draw all people to himself. And we don't typically imagine that a king would come on a donkey, but that a king would come on a throne with power. Now, we don't have a king, we're not a monarchy, but some of us have been to homecoming events, right? Think back to high school, college, you're only going to crown the king and king, right? I see a lot of kings and queens before me from your high school and college days, and when they brought you to the homecoming event, to the homecoming game, they didn't wheel you in on a donkey, did they? At my school, they wheeled you in on the back of a Corvette or something really cool, and Jesus comes in on a donkey, You don't picture the CEO of your company coming into the national meeting in a Dodge Stratus or a Toyota Camry. I remember back in the 80s, people were always uh, talking, they were astounded that the humble uh, founder, CEO of Walmart, Sam Walton, would drive his Ford truck to the office every day a humble king, a humble president. But it's not what we would expect. And Jesus comes not enthroned in glory with a sword or with honor, but humbly on a donkey. So what does this story tell us about Jesus? It tells us we meet a humble God. A humble God. A humble Savior. A humble King. A God who always seems to do the unexpected from what we would expect, right? All throughout Scripture. What king is he going to choose for Israel? Is it going to be the firstborn of Jesse? No, it's going to be the lastborn. It's going to be the youngest. It's going to be the one that everybody forgot. Hey, is this all? Is, are these all the sons you have? No, actually, we got this one, David, but we didn't even think to bring him. But God does the unexpected and chooses David. 
a man comes to Jesus in the Gospels in Mark chapter 2 looking for healing. And Jesus does the unexpected and says, not only do I heal you, but I forgive you your sins. That's not what I expected. The disciples, Luke chapter 5, are going out with Jesus for a great day of fishing and they find a Savior and Peter falls on his face and says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. I just thought we were going fishing. But who are you? A widow is resigned to bury her dead son and Jesus comes to the rescue and restores her son to life. He does the unexpected. Disciples said, let's send this crowd home so they can get something to eat. And Jesus takes five loaves and two fish and he does the unexpected and he provides and he does a miracle. The disciples want to celebrate the Passover meal with their Savior And Jesus says, first, let me wash your feet. And the religious leaders and the crowds a week later want to kill Jesus. And Jesus does the unexpected and rises from the dead. We meet a God who is the unexpected. We meet the most humble God ever known. What kind of king would enter the world this way? What kind of king would put on flesh? What kind of king would come as a baby? As one author has written, Michael Gerling has said, what kind of king Jesus are you? What kind of king? What kind of king rides a donkey? A donkey that might be borrowed or might be hijacked. What kind of king builds a castle with a wide open door for children to enter, but with a needle-sized hole for the rich? What kind of king rides onto a donkey, rides on a donkey into the city where his assassins are waiting for him? What kind of king lets his subjects treat him like a military liberator but doesn't come with a single sword? What kind of king can send two followers to fetch a donkey and know exactly what they'll need to say? What kind of king can sit at a dinner table with his subjects and be subject to them and wash their feet? What kind of king can die so that his assassins can live? What kind of king are you, Jesus? A king who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. A king who keeps his promises. A king who I can trust. A king who can save. A king I want to follow. We meet a humble Jesus, a humble God, a humble Savior. We also meet uh, a God, we also meet a Savior who knows the fickleness of His people. The fickleness of His people. Look back uh, in the passage in John chapter 12 with me. Three times we see crowd mentioned, a large crowd, verse 12. 
Actually, even before our passage this morning, back up in verse 9, it says, the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there. They came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. What are they interested in, this large crowd? Hey, heard you, heard you raise some guy from the dead. And so a large crowd gathers. Verse 12, the large crowd comes. Again, verse 17, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. There's actually two crowds within the crowd mentioned here in this chapter. There's the large crowd, and then there's the crowd that was with him or right after he, rose, right, right after he raised Lazarus from the dead that are following him because they saw him do this miracle. And then again, verse 18, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. The crowd is coming because they saw a miracle. The crowd is coming, verse 12, because, hey, they heard about Jesus and some stuff he had done. And they're interested in the sign. They're interested in the miracle. They're interested in the show, if you will. And then... We get to chapter 19 of John's gospel and we see that many of the same crowd have gone from throwing palm branches down and singing Hosanna, blessed are you who come in the name of the Lord to chapter 19 verse 15 where it says, they cry out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. We meet a Savior, we meet a God who understands the fickleness of people, who want to see signs, who want to be entertained, and sometimes believe, and yet the signs go away and they turn away. Or things, the, cra- the, the crowd changes or they hear something else and they, they turn on Jesus. John chapter 2 This is not on the screen, but John chapter 2, verse 24 and 25, listen to this commentary that John gives us on Jesus' commentary on people. John 2, 24, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. You catch that? Jesus did not entrust himself to the people because he knew people. Verse 25, and he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. You know what's in your heart? I know some things in my heart. I had a seminary professor who used to like to say, you know yourself second best. But we meet a king who knows what he gets when he gets people who knows what's in our hearts, who knows our fickleness. We meet a king who knows how one week you can be at the top of the pile and the next week you can be crucified. We meet a God who understands that you can be praised, Hosanna, one week and the next week be scorned and mocked. We see a king who understands how one moment you can be thrown a party and the next moment you can have stones thrown your way. We meet a humble Savior, a humble Jesus who understands the fickle hearts 
of people like me, people like us, that can be hot and then cold, that can be full of faith and then doubt, that can be soft-hearted and then so hard-hearted. We meet a Savior who understands us. Finally, we meet not only a humble God and a God that understands fickle people, but finally, related to the previous, we meet a patient God. Look with me, not only, uh, not only is the crowd frustrating, but his own disciples are frustrating. Look at verse 16. I love the honesty of John here. If you look uh, in verse 16, it says, His disciples did not understand these things at first. I mean, let's not just talk about the crowd. Let's talk about his closest disciples. Even they don't get it. In a few days, they're going to run away for Judas in a matter of days and hours. He's going to betray Jesus. Peter is is going to say, I don't even know the guy. And here, even as they entered, his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things. We see not only a God who understands our fickleness, but we also see a God who is patient. Jesus is perplexing in what he does and how his nature and how he shows up, but his people, us, his disciples, we are slow and thick and slow to understand and slow to get it. And this God that enters humbly is also a God who is incredibly patient, thank you, Jesus, with people like me. Because if our Savior is only sovereign and strong and all-powerful, then He obliterates us who turn our back on Him, who are fickle in faith toward Him. If our Savior is only weak and only humble, He can't help us. But we have a Savior who is both strong and humble, who is both absolutely sovereign and utterly patient. And what we need our eyes open to this week, Lord, Holy Spirit, help us, is the beauty of this patient, humble Jesus. See, I need a king that's humble enough to accept a sinner like me. I need a king that's patient enough for someone as fickle as me. I need a savior that's weak enough to die for me and yet strong enough to defeat even death to bring me into his kingdom. Praise God that we have that kind of savior. Paul writes, In 1 Corinthians 13, that passage that many of you had read at your wedding, Paul describes love. And you remember the first, remember this for your parenting, remember this for your marriage. He describes love and he says what? Love is first of all what? Patient. Love is patient and guess what? God is patient. The Anglican Church, as they uh, 
formulate their Palm Sunday service, one of the passages that they use in their service for Palm Sunday is Philippians chapter 2. So you might want to flip to Philippians chapter 2 with me. They use Philippians chapter 2 because they believe that Philippians Philippians chapter 2 is the overflow, it's the application, if you will, of Palm Sunday, of Jesus coming in humility, in his incarnation and in his entrance to Jerusalem. So read with me. I think this is the application of Palm Sunday, beginning in verse 3, going on down through verse 11. Philippians chapter 2, Paul says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. How, how could you do that? When you look at Jesus, how could you be conceited? How can you be selfishly focused? Do nothing from selfish ambition or, or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant riding on a donkey, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What do we do with Palm Sunday? What does God want us to see of Jesus this week in Palm Sunday? He wants us to see a God, though totally sovereign, though totally in charge, though totally powerful, comes humbly to save you and me. That we might see Jesus, this one that can save us, this one that we can trust, this one who is patient with us, this one who understands the fickleness of his people. I think that's what God would want us to see this week, the beauty of Jesus. But secondly, how might Jesus want to use us this week in light of Palm Sunday? How might God want to use us this week? Here's the good news. The good news is God still uses donkeys. Donkeys like me and donkeys like you. Perhaps he wants to use you this week to carry the name of Jesus, to invite someone into a conversation about spiritual things this week, to invite someone to come and see and consider Jesus and his resurrection next Sunday. Maybe he would still want to use a donkey like me or you. And lastly, he might want us to ride a donkey. He might want us to humble ourselves as Jesus did and be ready to strap on the seat, and ride the back of a donkey. Maybe you'll face something this week. You say, I don't want to do this. This is beneath me. 
This is below my pay grade. This is underneath. I, I don't want to deal with this. And it might be, maybe the Holy Spirit would put this passage in your mind. Remember Palm Sunday, that Jesus, God on the donkey. Maybe you're going to face something this week that you don't want to deal with. And God is saying, get on the donkey. If your Savior can come this way, then you can lower yourself. You can stoop to do this, whatever it may be. I invite you to continue to consider Jesus this week. Some of us are going to be just walking through. If you start a Mark chapter 11, Mark has 16 chapters. Read chapter 11 today. Read chapter 12 on Monday. Read chapter 13 the next day. You're going to get a little ahead by the time you get to Friday. It's okay. Chapter 16 is Sunday. Read it all on Saturday. Read it all on Sunday. But that's a good way to follow Holy Week, to follow this gospel, this thing of first importance this week, to focus your eyes upon Jesus, to see what he would want us to see this week, and then to ask yourself the question, God, how might you want to use me this week? How might I need to humble myself this week? What kind of king are you? I just want to end by finishing Michael Gerling's poem prayer here. And at the end of it, the last paragraph is going to be on the screen and it'll be in bold. And I would like you to just finish this prayer with me and then we will respond in song, okay? The last paragraph will be on the screen. And so we pray. And so I come to you, King Jesus, not to be served by you, but to serve you and give my life to you. So take my cloak, use it to clothe the naked, or use it for your donkey to step on. I don't care, so long as you're the one taking it. Because you're the only one who will give me a new garment in return, a white robe of righteousness. Use me, King Jesus, all of me, as you see fit. Make me a knight or a bishop or a rook, or make me an expendable pawn. I don't care what piece I am, so long as yours is the hand that's moving me. Because yours is the mighty hand with an outstretched arm. Yours is the hand that rules with an iron scepter and that knit me together in my mother's womb. So let me follow you, King Jesus, all the way to Golgotha. Let me walk next to you and put balm branches on your feet and shout Hosanna with the children. And if the child in me shouting Hosanna grows up to an adult shouting crucify, bring me back to the water where I can be born again. Let me sit at the table with you and take bread and wine from your hands and let me lay my head on your chest. And if 30 pieces of the world's silver are ever enough to draw me away, wash my feet and make me clean again. Let me pray with you at Gethsemane and learn from you how to be vulnerable with the Father. Let me see your tears and sweat and grief. 
And if my prayers give way to sleep, wake me again with the waters of regeneration. Let me walk with you to the cross. Let me be Simon of Cyrene and learn to carry your cross with you. And if my Simon of Cyrene becomes Simon Peter and I walk away from your cross to deny you, lead me back to these waters where I can still die with you and live. And all along this long, rough road, let our song be, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Amen.